This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty. Along with JP and Brian, we're here until midnight. You know what happens then. It's Freddie and Fitz right here on 98.7 ESPN. All right, right away, let's go to work. That's what we do on ESPN New York tonight. I was curious. I told you for the past couple of days, I wanted to see what this Nick team looked like. I wanted to see what kind of rotations you were going to have. I wanted to see how players were going to play. I wanted to see how Mike Thibod- uh, how Tom Thibodeau was going to coach. I wanted to see a bunch of different things. Now, I'm going to preface this right now by saying to you, it's one game. Okay? It's one game. And it's the first game. All right? And I understand, consider the opponent. Detroit, not a very good team either. Okay? But there were some positive things that you saw from the Knicks. Here's some early thoughts, and I can't wait to hear from you. 1-800-919-3776. A few of you have already tweeted me at Hardest to ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. First of all, this team can't shoot. <laughs> this team can't shoot. And you knew that going in, so you're not surprised. This team is in dire need of some three-point shooting. But you knew that coming in. Five of 23 from three-point land. Oh, odious. All right. Number one. Number two, you saw it at the beginning of the game, and you saw it late when Detroit tried to make a run and cut into the Nick lead and tried to steal one. Here's something you already knew also. Knicks need a point guard. Knicks need a point guard that's going to be able to settle them down and run the offense and get it to the person that has to have the basketball. And with the crew that was on the court at the time, clearly Julius Randle was the guy that you were going to in that moment. R.J. Barrett did play better later in the game after a horrible shooting first half. I mean, some of those shots looked like somebody opened the door to the arena (laughs) and the big wind blew in. And it carried it sideways. It was short, a couple of air balls. But I will say this about him. He was aggressive. And that's the one thing you wanted to see. And he was aggressive and he was, you know, very focused on taking the ball to the basket. Now, here's what he's got to understand. And it was better in the second half. He's got to be able to consistently hit that 12 to 15 footer Otherwise, I'm just going to play off him and let him shoot. I'm not going to let him go past me and go to the basket. Very simple. I'm not going to do that. If he can't hit the outside shots, forget it. You know. Now, he finished 7 of 16. He was O of his first six. So he did get better as he got looser and probably settled down a little bit. Obviously, they were all excited. Uh, now, burying the lead. Obi Toppin was impressive. A couple of turnovers, these things that you can work on with him. He's got to understand what he needs to do. He also has to understand his footwork defensively. Otherwise, the scoring that he gave you will be sitting on the bench next to Tom Thibodeau because he's going to be in foul trouble. But the positives were he was aggressive. He was able to put the ball in the basket. He was able to put the ball on the floor, make moves had a couple of low post moves that worked. He had a little a mid-range a mid-range jumper. Missed two free throws, got to work on those, but all in all, in 20 minutes to have 11 points, 7 rebounds and a block, 
That's pretty good for that for for a debut. That's pretty good, pretty good. And I said this to uh, Brian and JP, so I'm going to share it with you. I hope that there is, and I'm sure that Julius Randle is going to hear Tom Thibodeau's voice in his head every time he puts the basketball on the deck when there's two people around him and they're trying to strip it or when he's bringing the ball up court. I just want I just want somebody to just give me the ball. Just go over there and take the ball from him. And that's because there's no quote, I'm using air quotes, real point guard. Alfred Payton is he's a nice player, but and, and he look, he spreads the ball around. He had seven assists. So he led the team in the in in assists. Randall had six, but you need somebody that's going to facilitate this offense and can score too. So they're going to have to just find different people to handle that because they don't have that person right now. Could Dennis Smith develop into that person possibly with more playing time? I don't know. We'll see. So clearly there's, there's a point guard issue and we knew that going in, but that's just, it just frustrated me to just no end to just Randall again, doing what he did. Uh, New Orleans Noel played well, five of seven, I gave you 10 points, eight rebounds, a couple of blocks, did well. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, 22 minutes, four personal fouls, <laughs> two points, seven rebounds, uh, four steals, two blocks, two turnovers. So once again, here's, here's my thing with, with Mitchell Robinson. We know that he can defend the rim. But I'm just telling you, on a team that is going to have trouble scoring consistently, whenever Mitchell Robinson comes in, I really can't afford for him to just be a defensive guy. I need him to get involved in this offense somehow. I need points from my center position. All right? Like, Noel gave me 10 points tonight. 10 and 8. You know, if, if I can get 10 and 8, if I can, if I can get twenty and ten from my center position every night, that's great. That helps me a lot, and that's what they're going to need to find other people scoring because I don't see any scoring consistently coming from the point guards. I mean, look, Peyton gave you ten points tonight, great, but I don't see that consistently. So I I need some points from someplace. R.J. Barrett was the high scorer with fifteen. All right, I need him to improve. And once again, one of two from the free throw line, you know, let's get that rolling. I need him to be better there as well. Tom Thibodeau, (laughs) he may not have coached for two years, but he was in midseason form tonight. And for the amount of young players that you have, and as Mike Breed mentioned during the broadcast with Wally Zerbiak, this is a team that has nobody over 30. So this is really a young team, and they need to be coached. And so when there were issues, when he, when Thibodeau didn't like what he saw defensively, when, they, when there were plays that people didn't hustle on, he called timeout immediately, and he addressed it. And that's what you have to do with a young team. And everybody has to understand that they're going to get yelled at if they don't do the right thing. 
veterans, mid-level player, first-year players, third-year players, 10-year players, whatever. That's the consistency you have from him. You only hope that his voice and his blood pressure will last the season. But all in all, for the first game, they looked okay. They, they were okay. They weren't great. They weren't unbelievable. They were okay. And when you consider that it's the first game, now we'll see what happens the next game, which is going to be Sunday night. They'll play Detroit again. And so now after you've seen each other, what are the adjustments that you make now that the players will have a game under their belt, having got back again, and for the rookies, you know, in, in meaningful games, in a meaningful situation, now we get to see where they go from here and what they do. So I'm excited. 1-800-919-3776. Also on Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. Getting your thoughts on the uh, Knicks preseason opener tonight against the Pistons in the Motor City. You know, the other thing, before I get to the calls, the other thing that's really going to be interesting this season, and you, you saw it in baseball, you really see it in the NFL, right? is because there's no people in the stands, just you hear the play calling so clearly, right? <laughs> I, every, all the conversations, all everything is just so clear, loud. Heard a couple of things that made me blush. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting season, ladies and gentlemen. And the other thing is, there's other. I, I hope that... In the, on Sunday night, we get to see some of the other players that we didn't see tonight, like Michael Kill, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I want to see what he brings to the table. I want to see Miles Powell, all right, the, the kid from Seton Hall. I want to see him. I want to see uh, quickly the kid they drafted out of Kentucky. So I want to see more of these folks. I do because I want to see exactly what this team has. So hopefully – and obviously the coaching staff will be able and they're going to look and try to rotate as many people in to get as much experience as possible so they can see and make some decisions because with practice and four preseason games, they have to decide who the starting rotation is. They have to decide who's coming off the bench and they have to decide really, although it's fluid, they don't really, not that it's locked in to have a specific rotation, but you kind of want to get an idea of who plays better with whom. What does this strength? What does this guy's strength do with this person? You know, you kind of want to make sure that you have these young players complementing each other, and that you try to at least have one potential, at least one potential scorer on the floor at all times, because you don't have a lot of scoring on this team. So to try to have at least one guy that you that you know. When you're on the floor and you're in the situation when the team is on a run, that you could run a play for this player and this player will give me a basket that I need that can try to turn things around. The, the one thing that you know about this team, and it was evident tonight, this team is going to play defense. There's no question about it. Ron's in Baltimore. Ron, you're batting leadoff on ESPN New York tonight. Larry, uh, I'm encouraged. Good. Uh, granted, it's one game. Mm-hmm. The preseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, my biggest takeaway is I like our new coach. Um, he coached this game, Larry, like it mattered. Yeah. Because it does matter. This is where we build the habits for young players. 
Julius Randle turns the ball over, doesn't get back on a transition three. What does Thibodeau do? He called timeout and started screaming. <laughs> yes. That's what I like to see. That's my type of coach. If you have a problem on the court, you fix it. I thought the whole team was active on defense for about 35 to 40 minutes tonight. Mm-hmm. I thought – I want to start with Dennis Smith. I thought he competed. Look, I'm not saying it was it was perfect. He had four turnovers. I'm not excusing that, but – I noticed that he looked healthy, number one, and I thought he was active defensively. I thought the shot, even when he missed a few that, I actually thought the shot looked better. So I'm not willing to put Dennis Smith and say he's going to make a miraculous comeback, but I can work with a guy who's going to compete like that. I thought Obi was impressive, um, made mistakes defensively. He'll learn from that Blake Griffin play where he fell for the pump fake, but very mm-hmm. explosive. RJ got a little too excited early, but I like how he rebounded in the second half. Um, I, I'm not trying to – I understand the talent level here, but I, Larry, what I'm more impressed with is the effort and the competitiveness defensively, and tr- they're trying to build the habits. We may not have the most talented roster, but if that's the type of effort that they can give me consistently – then I think we can go somewhere. But that's all I got. But I was very encouraged, and I like Tom Tebbell. I hear what you're saying, Ron, and, and you're right on all points. And, and here's the thing that is I, that you will be encouraged, and once again, we are saying it's only one game. Got it. I, I know. It's only one game. But these are the things that you're encouraged by. You're encouraged by their commitment to defense. And the reason <laughs> they are committed to defense is very, is very simple. It's because they understand, Ron, that if they don't play defense, they're not going to play. Mm-hmm. And, every, and and we talk about the NBA being a player's league and all this other stuff, and in a lot of ways it is. But the one thing that coaches control is playing time. Mm-hmm. And you can see early that through the young players, he's instilling, I will yell at you if you do the wrong thing. I will try to correct you. And it's not just him. Even yeah. even when players come out, you see Mike Woodson talking to players. You saw Kenny Payne talking to players. You saw other the assistants talking to players, making sure that they understand here's what you did wrong. Next time, this is how you handle it. And that's how you coach players and you make them better. That's the type and, of development that we haven't seen, Ron. And, Larry, I'll leave you with this, man. Look, mm-hmm. I think Obi tonight is what I thought he would be. He's he's ready offensively. He's explosive. He He, he has the tools. His footwork is good defensively it's going to be work i rj gets a little too excited but i'm I'm encouraged that he rebounded in the second half with the jumper but more than anything i really do think dennis smith to me more than any player tonight i wanted to see could he give us anything and he did look like he he was competing and that he could give us something this season maybe i'm overreacting because i want it to work but dennis smith is my is my wild card for the whole season and I'm, i'm counting on this guy to give us something but larry it was very encouraging and you have a good night you too, Ron. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for the phone call. And you, look, you need a player like Dennis Smith who is a scorer who can give you points and help run your offense and take the pressure off of a Julius Randle, take the pressure off of an Obi Toppin because Toppin's a rookie. And there's going to be nights where the shot's not going to fall. There's going to be nights where he's going to be in foul trouble and he's not going to play. There's going to be nights where he's just – he's going to make adjustments. He's not going to have it. And so, especially when you understand that a lot of the folks didn't play a whole season in college last year. So, you know, that's why Thibodeau was was really 
focusing in on everybody making sure that they were in shape when they came when they came to camp because he understands what is the type of play that he expects from his team from the defensive standpoint for him it's defense first offense second if we can hold teams close even if we don't have a lot of scoring we can be in games now tonight and once again I'm not trying to say that that they played the the world champion Los Angeles Lakers, but they held Detroit to 32%, if I round it up, 33% shooting. It was actually 32.5. And 25.6 from three. Okay, that's not bad. If you hold teams to 30% shooting, which is virtually impossible in the NBA, but if you hold teams to 30% shooting, you have an opportunity to win some games. And just look, you saw how the Knicks were early in these games. The, the early game, they were awful. They couldn't buy a basket earlier. They couldn't buy a basket. But here's what you take away. If they're going to give you that type of effort, then at least they will be competitive. And if they're competitive, they will find their way. They'll hang around and they'll win some games. And that's what you need this year. Tony's in the Bronx. Hey, Tony, you're next on 98.7. What's going on, Larry? Long time no hear from. Yeah, so what's up, Tony? It's, it's the first game of the first preseason game. And first of all, I do not have enough blood pressure medicine <laughs> for Julius Randle. I can't do it. <laughs> Julius Randle is killing me. This is the same dude. Julius Randle is killing me. But die, that's number one. Mm-hmm. Scoring, like you say, we can't shoot to save our lives. We need to find someone who can consistently hit a shot. Um, is Austin Rivers hurt or had a groin you injury? Said it earlier, groin you said injury. That, you know, yeah, you know. So it's like you know, a lot of these guys. Gonna hopefully on Sunday we'll see some more of these guys. Yep. Point guard, point guard, point guard, and you know the caller beforehand was like he was encouraged by Dennis Smith. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm glad that they signed Alfred, you know, Peyton back, you know, only because out of the three of them, he's the best one. But he can't shoot Mm-mm. to save his life. And this is why I was so – I wanted Russell Westbrook so bad for if no other reason. I wanted Russell because it was somebody who could freaking score. But I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? It's okay. I, you deal with it. But out of the three of them, none of them, they, they're horrible. And Obi – outstanding. Obi looks like a combination of Omari and Kmart. I'm so encouraged by him. I can't wait to see this boy play again. I mean, but you know, once again, you know, I look at Dennis Smith and I'm saying, you know, that trade for Porzingis and this is all we got back. I'm, I'm just annoyed to no end. But Larry, once again, I'm encouraged because Tibbs and Mike Woodson, those are my dudes. They, we will play defense. If we don't do nothing else, we'll play defense. But we have to find some consistent scoring. It's too hard for us to score. Too hard. It's true. Too and and it, it is. Thanks for the phone call, Tony. And I said it before, and I'll say it again, and it really jumped out at me tonight, and I'll share it with you next. So here, this was very evident to me, and I had a feeling when you looked at the roster – and you and you we're talking about how it's so hard for the Knicks to score. 
And it's going to be hard for the Knicks to score in a half-court offense. They're going to have to push the tempo. They're going to have to push the tempo. When they get steals, they have to push the tempo on the break, try to get some easy buckets. That's how they're going to have to go. The the half-court offense is going to be a work in progress. When, when the rest of your players get together, when you find out who can play, when you find out who plays well with the other person, when you get the chemistry together, that's when you'll start to see a little a little easier way to run the half-court offense. It's not going to be great, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just saying, because of the fact that you don't have a lot of big-time offensive players on this roster. So pressure the ball, get the steals, run out, easy buckets. And that's how you're going to have to play until, you know, and eventually as the team gets more comfortable with you, with each other, there might be a player or two who might emerge that can really be a consistent score for you. You get maybe two or three consistent scores, but here's the one thing you know. If you play defense, you'll be in games. The problem is you're really, you have no margin for error. <laughs> you're not going to have any margin for error. And against really good teams, you don't want to run because you don't want to get into an up-tempo, you know, street fair, street ball contest and get blown out. All right, you don't want to do that. So you know, you kind of want to, when you can, you run selectively, but you also, in some cases, you kind of want to take the air out of the basketball. Mike's in Queens. Hey, Mike, you're next on 98.7. Good evening, Larry. How are you? I'm good, Mike. What's up? Uh, Larry, it's been, what, nine months since we've talked next Uh. And you have Tom Thibodeau, who looks like it's game six of the NBA Finals. That guy is in rare, rare form. You can tell he's ready to go. Larry, I'll start off with the bad because it, it's, it's, not, it's not that much. Uh, uh, the bad, uh, Larry, uh, Larry, Julius, why, Randall, Larry? Uh, I really hope he sees less playing time as we see the, the other players come back. Uh, he did have, the, what, the five points to ice the game at the end. I would hope so after his turnover was before. Uh Mitchell Robertson, uh, he uh, did not start uh, as I thought he would, despite not being a fan of that. I, how would he? You know, how much time would he get under Tibbs? However, you saw how Noel played along with Topham. Maybe he does belong on the bench. Uh, Noel did play and did, and did, and did out play Mitchell Robertson today. Uh, Larry, Obi uh, Topham. Uh, what they have, 10 points, uh, 5 rebounds. Uh, Larry, if the, if the Knicks could develop him into a Sean Marion with that versatility, I think that would be a big plus for them. Uh, Larry, R.J. Barrett, a bad start, 0 for 5, I believe. But what, he, but what he has to do, go to the basket. You saw today some driving to the basket. You saw some finishing moves going for the twos, Larry. He's struggling with his shot, which he has to fix, obviously. But while he's correcting that, go for the twos, go to the basket, try and get a, a layup, and... Trying to be versatile, be a shooter, and have some off the off the ball skills. Larry Alfred Payton, Larry by default he's their best point guard, which is not saying much. Uh, that's it. He's just their, their best point guard. Uh, their defense, how they were swarming, and they just did not give the Detroit any time to establish any type of constant rhythm. Uh, Larry, this team is going to have trouble scoring the ball. Well, their offense will come in. Drips and drabs. They probably will be not be constant. They'll not be, not be really hot. It'll be really cold. Larry, this team's going to be up and down offensively, as they still look for a point guard, still look for a 
U.S. scorer. But Larry, they're going to have to play defense because if you could play good, hard defense, if you could create turnovers, that's less points for them, more points for you. If you have trouble hitting the three, if you can't hit with the shot, well, if you get a turnover, you, you get an easy layup. Larry, this, if this team is going to, if they can do that, be a solid defensive team until they could get some scoring, until they get a point guard now, Larry, I don't know how, how Noel is. I, I doubt he's their long, long-term plan. But, Larry, if the Knicks need a point guard, if Mitchell Robinson is a one-trick pony with Obi Toppin, I know he's, he's a four, Mitchell's a five, but if the Knicks need a point guard, whether Noel is here for long-term or he's just a stopgap guy, do you trade Robinson for, for a point guard? Because, Larry, this team, like I said, scoring-wise, will not be constant. Some nights it'll be good, and some nights I could tell it'll, it'll, be, it'll be tough. So do you use Mr. Robson as a trade bait? And like, that's what I'll say, eight months, nine months, if I could say, Dennis Smith Jr. That would be nice. Thanks, Mike. That would be nice. And that's what, you know, as a Knicks fan, you hope for. Because, yes, you got the draft choices in that deal with Dallas, and those hopefully will be good. All right? I mean, the way Dallas is going – the, the way they're playing, it's not going to be in the top three or four. We know that unless uh, something unfortunate happens to them injury-wise. I mean, that's a team with Luka Doncic and obviously Christoph Porzingis and the rest of their team. I mean, that that's a team that's going to be poised to go even deeper in the, in the West than they did last season. So you know that those draft choices are not going to be your top five or six. There's not going to be lottery choices. But you hope that they are players that you can either use in trades or guys who can use to add depth to your bench. And the one thing that this Nick team has is they got a lot of players that are sitting. <laughs> so they have a lot of depth. The question is going to be how does the coaching staff make the most of those players and use their skill set to highlight what they're trying to do on both sides of the floor? And that's going to be the question. That's going to be the job of the coaching staff and to continue to try to get them rolling. Now, Mike mentioned uh, Mitchell Robinson. And once again, as I said, what Noel did tonight is he put some points on the board. And that's something that unless you've been on the break where you're lobbing it up for Mitchell Robinson, he's not done that. I mean, think of, consider this. He broke Wilt Chamberlain's single season record for field goal percentage. Okay. So that means he was in the paint all the time, but what do you do with a player like that? Who has trouble staying on the floor? I mean, once again, as I mentioned tonight, he had four fouls and, and, and one of them was out trying to defend somebody near, near the half court line. I mean, you know, come on, this is your third year. You, you're not supposed to be making those mistakes. Now it's your third year. Yes, you pressure the you pressure the guy. We get it, but you don't pressure him. What's he going to do at the half court line? It's not like a Steph Curry who's going to pull up from there. So that's not what you do. So these are the things that you have to. Hopefully, you coach him up, and hopefully, he'll get better, and he won't make that same mistake. And he knows he was pointing to himself. He knows that's that was a dumb move. You don't do that. But once again, on a team that is you're searching for people who can give you consistent scoring every night for you to be competitive in games, to take some pressure off your defense. 
if you can get 10, 12 points from your center position in Noel, that's what you're going to do. He's going to get most of the playing time. Now, if Toppin continues to come off the bench and you play Robinson with Toppin, okay, you've got a score. So now you've got some things when Toppin gets doubled, he can pass it out and Robinson will go to the basket. He'll get some easy buckets. He'll get some easy buckets. So these are the things that you'll work out as the team plays, as the team practices more, as you go to the video, you see the things that didn't work. You see the things that did work. You see how teams are defending you. And you have to be constantly reminded that as you go around the league and you're seeing more often, teams are going to try to take some things away from you. And then you have to readjust to what they're doing to you. So that's the other process of, of what's going to happen with this team. And for me, the backcourt is going to be really, really important. It's going to be really important. So, you know, yes, you, you, R.J. Barrett, second year. All right? You, you love the energy he came out with. He's just got to harness it a little better. He's got to finish a little stronger. You can see that he's matured a little bit. You can see he's a little bigger. You can see he's been, he's been in the weight room. So now the thing is, listen, when you go, you got to finish. you got to finish those. Same thing with Alfred Payton. He's not a jump shooter. There's no doubt about that. He definitely is not. But he's a guy that can get to the basket. But when you get to the basket, you got to finish. Now, one of the players I was really, really intrigued with gave me a eh performance. Now, the numbers say he was, his plus minus says he was plus six when he was on the floor. But I... I still got to see what's going on with him. I'll tell you who that is next. A couple folks weighed in on their uh, on the Knicks inaugural game. NYC sports fan 718 says that was some ugly basketball <laughs> by that dumb, stupid starting five. Like, why is Alfred Payton starting? He can't shoot threes. Start Frank or DSJ at the point guard position. Jeesh. And then uh, at Mike, 1494-1552 said they looked organized and like a team. So those were some of the positives. And they did look organized. And you can see a difference in preparation. You can see a difference in how they're – you can see a difference in this team. And the one thing that you know that the, that the two main coaches, which is Tom Thibodeau and Mike Woodson, bring to the table is – they bring accountability to the table. You are held accountable. I was watching uh, our colleague Alan Hahn on the post game, and he made a, a very interesting comment about how defensively, remember how we used to talk about the Knicks always switched the past couple of seasons? They always switched. They always switched, and, and they never challenged the pick and roll defensively. Well, it was really everybody had their they were playing man, tough man-to-man uh, defense. And the big was there if you really, really needed him to be there. But for the most part, you were expected to defend your guy. Accountability. You were held accountable for keeping your guy, for trying to defend your guy. And keeping the bigs out of foul trouble. Keep your man in front of you. Try to defend as best you can. And don't give up any easy baskets. If he beats you on the contested shot, he beats you on the contested shot. You know, listen, this is the NBA. They're going to make contested shots. <laughs> you know, there's no question about that. 
but you don't give them anything easy. So that, I think, was one of the keys, and you wonder if that's what you're going to see consistently from Tom Thibodeau. The other thing that you notice, too, is offensively in the half court, they do a lot of pick and roll. And they do pick and roll from both sides of the floor. So they do pick and roll, screen and roll, whatever you want to call it. They do it on both sides. And it's, um, you know, it, it's it's something that keeps you honest because what it does is you, you see the whole floor. And you don't get a chance to defensively say, okay, we're going to shut you down from this side. If you don't run the screen and roll well on the left side, we're going to take it away from you. We're going to force you to that left side to run it. And they did a nice job at showing they can do it from both ends, from either side of the paint. So, you know, once again, it's one game. And you see the positives. And you now the question is, Detroit has seen that. They will take some things away. What will the Knicks do Sunday night to make that adjustment? I said there was one player I was really looking for tonight that I really wanted to see how they performed. And that's not true. It was really two of them. One was Kevin Knox. The other one was Frank Nilekina. Kevin Knox was okay. He was okay. He didn't kill him. I mean, plus six and the plus minus. I mean, I think there were games last year where he might have been minus 20 <laughs> in the plus minus. So he played 17 minutes. He was two of six from the four, zero from three from three. He had two rebounds, an assist, and five points. Had a block, had some turnovers, and had four personal fouls. All right? He, he's a guy who needs to get his offense going if he's going to play. He, he showed you better effort defensively tonight. He's still not a great defender. I get it. But if he's scoring the basketball for you, you can give him playing time and put him on the floor. Once again, if he's giving you some buckets. If he's not giving you some buckets and you're not having him out there for his defense, okay, Nila Keener, you'll you'll deal with. Okay, because he's long, he's a guy that plays defense. Obviously, listen, with with Thibodeau here, he should be ecstatic. Because here's a here's a coach that's gonna help him lock in on his on his defensive abilities and make it even better for him. So if if that's gonna be the way that he's going to perform, okay, you'll you'll deal with if as a defensive guy, okay, I'll live if he doesn't give me a bunch of points. If he's doing a great job defending who I have him in on. Okay, if if if, if uh you know whoever it is. All right. If 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 he's defending LeBron James and he's doing a decent job, then okay, if I'm only getting seven, eight points from him, I'll take it. Because what he's doing is he's doing a, a he's doing a decent job defensively, making it, making the offensive player work a little bit. LeBron James might have been a bad example, but you know what I'm saying. Tonight, seven points in 19 minutes, two of five from the field, one of one from three-point line. Five rebounds, no assists, four turnovers. The frustrating thing, thing for me is in 19, and I get that he's, really the point guard but you mean to tell me that in 19 minutes and I'm picking on him and I'm, this is the things I want to see him improve on I need him to be a bit more aggressive I need him to go to the basket even if he draws a double team that allows him to kick the ball out to somebody 
So these are things that hopefully the Knicks will work on and we'll see how they improve because this is the biggest thing with a young team. Here's what's most important. What's most important is that you see improvement. Over over games, you see improvement from, from every player. You see them become more comfortable. You see them become more comfortable with what's asked of them. You see them become more comfortable with the playbook. You see them become more comfortable with their teammates, and then they'll get better. And that's what you're looking for with a young team. And you know that there's going to be ups and downs with them. And you know that they're going to have some nights where they're just going to get blown out. It happens. It happens. But I will say, once again, that you have to be encouraged with what you saw from the team tonight. Encouraged. They were competitive. They were in game. And listen, they won a game. (laughs) Which they only did, like, what, 20-some times last year? Over about four or five months? So they're, they're, they're already in good shape. They, they've tasted victory. That's a good thing. You know, that's a good thing. So we'll see uh, what happens with this team going forward. As I mentioned, their next game is going to be uh, Sunday night against Detroit. Very interesting to see what's going to happen uh, when we talk moving to football this weekend. Very interesting to see what's going to happen with the Giants. And we have spoken about the Giants a lot this week, a lot. But it looks as though that Daniel Jones is going to play. Uh, I'm waiting to see what the status of Blake Martinez is going to be. I would think that he will be able to get out there and perform as well. So for me, this is a game that now that the Giants were able to beat Seattle last weekend, This is a game that you figure the Giants should win. Not saying it's going to be easy. And oh, by the way, Seattle, stop yourself. Don't talk about, yeah, we took them lightly now. Stop, stop. Don't don't do that. Don't, Don't do that. They came into your building. They shut your offense down. And you guys couldn't score against them. So tip your hat off to the Giants and say, listen, on this day, they were better than us. But this all, we we overlooked them. We played down to their level. All this, stop. Stop with the excuses. I'm not interested. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. But once again, this Sunday, in a 1 o'clock game, and there's some, some talk about, you know, Kyler Murray being a little banged up and whatnot. And, um, Okay, he is the guy that makes that offense go. And that's clear. We know that. We know that's the deal with him. Because of his ability to run and pass the ball. Now, obviously your goal is to make him beat you in the air. You want to make him throw to beat you. You don't want to get into a situation where you're chasing him down and running him running all over the all over the football field trying to tackle him and trying to get him. You want to make sure that you force him into having to stay in the pocket and try to get the ball downfield. I would expect 
that James Bradbury and DeAndre Hopkins will be very close to each other <laughs> on Sunday. And I would expect that there would be safety help over the top on some plays. Now, what does that mean? Who then, if you're taking DeAndre Hopkins away, all right, and you've got Larry Fitzgerald, who's also on that team, who is coming back. I think he missed last week's game, so he'll be back this week. So, you know, who is the player now that you're going to have to, if you're Arizona, that you're going to have to look to to see if you can get some points and, and be able to get some first downs to keep drives alive? And for me, that's going to be tight end Dan Arnold. Dan Arnold, last week without Larry Fitzgerald, got his third receiving touchdown of the season last week. So I think that might be somebody that I'm sure that Patrick Graham and the Giants defense is going to focus on because of what, you know, he brings to the table. So with, with I'm sure, Jabril, Jabril Peppers, it's going to be checking him out and seeing where he is in that offense. They have to find offense from somewhere if indeed the Giants do the similar job as they did Sunday against Seattle because they did a phenomenal job against Russell Wilson. Kenyon Drake is also going to have to be contained. And so the question is going to be what indeed will Arizona and Cliff Kingsbury do with this offense understanding what the Giants like to do in their tendencies. On the other side, you look at the uh, Cardinals secondary. Buda Baker at safety. Patrick Peterson is a guy who obviously is a really talented corner. So Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard. They will have opportunities to open up the offense. But I think right now, if you are Arizona, I think you have to, since the Giants have been able to run the football so well, Wayne Gallman, 135 rushing yards last week, you have to try to take the run away from the Giants. You have to try to make them one-dimensional. You have to put pressure on Daniel Jones. Let's see if he can move out the pocket. Let's see how good that hamstring is. Let's see what he's able to do. And these are the things that, that I think Arizona is going to have to do if they want to have the opportunity to try to win this game and break a losing streak because they've been struggling over the past month. And the Giants right now, listen, <laughs> Washington's on their heels. Washington is going to force them that they have to play better and keep this role going that they've been able to do. And it will be interesting to see just if, how rusty Daniel Jones is, how his performance is going to be when he comes back on Sunday. Carmelo Anthony looking like Olympic mellow. Ten points in four minutes. Oh, he looks, he is really, he's playing well. He's shooting the basketball. And once again, people were like, oh, you know, Carmelo turned the Knicks down. This came to get Carmelo. Carmelo's trying to win the championship. 
this is not a championship team. <laughs> He's got a better shot. And listen, Portland is not winning. <laughs> I don't see them winning this year. But he got a better shot playing in Portland than he does playing here. And I know there's some people who didn't want him back, wanted him back. You know, either way, there was no way that he was coming back here. Why? He's trying to win a ring. He, he look at the hard work he had to try to get back into the NBA. He's not trying to come back here. Nope. As a free agent? No. No, not an option. Not an option. <laughs> Can't say that I blame him. Can't say that I blame him. 1-800-919-3776. Your calls are next, but first. Now here is the top news stories of the day with Larry Hardesty. I was talking about it a minute ago. Two teams going in opposite directions. Giants have won four in a row. The Cardinals are one Hail Murray away from being winless since the calendar turned to November. Kyler Murray, not the same play he was in the first half of the season. And most people speculate he's not healthy. Regardless, this is a team that still has more wins than the Giants and plays in a much tougher division. That shows with the Giants still being underdogs despite being the home team. Joe Judge just earned his biggest win of the season last week against the Seahawks on the road. Everyone seems to be in on the Giants right now, including Keyshawn Johnson. But to be fair, Keyshawn's like uh, Big Blue for a while and says they'll win on Sunday. I don't like dome teams traveling on the road then playing in hostile environments, although there'll be no fans in Giant Stadium, but there may be showers, rains, and a little bit of cold. When you look at this football game, you have a 6-6 six and six Cardinal team who's trying to keep their playoff hopes alive against a 5-7 and seven New York Giants team, Jay Will. Entering in this game and in this week, 40% chance for the Cardinals to make the playoffs according to FPI. I don't believe so. I think the Giants win this football game. They get Daniels back at the quarterback spot. Kyler Murray has a lot to prove on the road. And Keyshawn's tag team partner, Jay Williams, along with Zubin, who has the morning show here on 98.7 ESPN, he's a little concerned about the Giants. I'm worried about this game. FPI, chance to win the game, has the Cardinals at 60%. I saw what the Giants did last week on the road against Seattle, you know, forcing Russell Wilson to make a lot of poor decisions. You know, I know everybody's worrying about Kyler Murray's arm. How will he be? He's only ran the ball five times the last two games. But if they allow him to get out of the pocket and start scattering, I think it's going to be trouble for the Giants. He might be right. Let's turn to a little baseball, shall we? Yankees GM Brian Cashman addressed some of the team's important questions in the interview with Meredith Morakovitz on the Yes Network last night. Here are some of the highlights. Cashman indicated the Yankees are intent on bringing back second baseman DJ LeMay, who holds among baseball's elite free agents. That's his intention. Are you sure the agreement will come together? Here's what Brian no, had to say. No, I mean, I, I don't have any updates there. Uh, we have had discussions and our intent. Uh, is there. Obviously, we have good intentions where it comes to DJ LeMayu and trying to re-sign him, and I think he has the same on his end, but, um, you know, free agency is very complicated and tricky and there's competition, and um, and so, you know, the you know the dance and the conversations will continue, and uh, we certainly hope for a positive outcome, but there, you know, it's also possible that there isn't one, so we just have to wait and see. I, clearly, if you could wave a magic wand and and do it right and, and not have the suspension, the suspense play out. Uh, I'd rather fast forward to the end so we know what the result is, but but that's just not how this uh, system works. No, it isn't. The Yankees aren't yet focused on finding a contingency plan at second should they lose DJ, who starred in their uniform 2019 and 2020. 
and is currently on the heels of an American League batting title winning season in which he finished near the top of the AL MVP voting. However, shortstop Glaber Torres might be a fit for the Keystone combination, though, as Cashman admitted, he might be better at second than short. I think he can do both. I think he's a better second baseman than shortstop. I think that uh, he can play shortstop. I think that ultimately uh, he struggled in the beginning of the the pandemic 60-game season because he, you know, after the spring training one shutdown into spring training two, he did not, you know, and it's, I'm not playing the blame game, but he, he wasn't in the best shape to start uh, the second spring training. So upon his return from the shutdown, um, we spent a little bit of a first half of the season playing catch up. Maybe it was the first 40 or 45 games of season playing catch up. And, and uh, once we got him back online and in shape, you saw towards the last you know, 20 games, including the playoffs, the Glaber Torres are used to seeing. So I think the season that overall he had isn't representing what he really is. Uh, It's more along the lines of what you saw in the postseason and what you saw the previous year, uh, which anybody would want. So he's more than capable of playing short, but I acknowledge he's a better second baseman than a shortstop. And he proved that last season. (laughs) When he was playing shortstop, had a bunch of errors. He is a better second baseman than he is a shortstop. Ouch, how about he wasn't in the best of shape? Yikes. Listen, how could we talk about the Yankees without mentioning Gary Gary Sanchez? Mm -hmm. Mentioned as a possible non-tender candidate before last week's deadline, but the Yankees instead kept him for a projected 5.1 million to 6.4 million bucks. Arbitration salary. Cashman told Meredith Morakovich that the Yankees still believe in the 28-year-old catcher. Really? I mean, yeah, I ultimately, I, I think going into uh, the season next year, we uh, will let it play out regardless, but there's certainly an anticipation and an expectation of a bounce back for Gary Sanchez. You know, the talent level is there. We're only a year removed from what an all-star, American League all-star catcher, a perennial 30-plus home run hitter. In fact, he probably would have been on pace regardless of how poorly he swung the bat this year. He would have been on pace for a 30-home run season this year if it was a normal season the way it played out. He actually led all catchers, despite the swing and miss ramping up in his game this year, which was unusual for him because he's such an amazing hitter, typically. He led all catchers in exit velocity and impact. No one hit the ball harder at that position than he did in a COVID pandemic suffering season for him. There's a certainly hope and expectation that what we saw isn't what that is. And I think if you bounce around rosters throughout the game on the American League or National League, you're going to find and pinpoint many of a well above average player or all-stars, perennial all-stars that had horrific seasons on the offensive side for some other, for some reasons to their own right. So I'm not saying we're going to give them a pass. And I'm not saying that take my word for it's an automatic that he's going to resuscitate. But we do believe that this 2020 season wasn't represent, representing of who he really is as a player on either side of the ball, both offensive and defensive side. Wow. That's a long way of saying we hope he could be good again <laughs> because they desperately do. The Rams silenced the Patriots in the Super Bowl revenge game last night. We told you that when we were on the air, the uh, Rams with a 24-3 home victory. It's interesting. Two years after losing to the Patriots 13-3 to in the Super Bowl, the Rams a little happy. They dominated, dominated. Running back Cam Akers, a career-high 171 yards rushing. New England only 62 yards in the second half, six sacks, and had a pick six. That was defense. You know what? Bart Scott, who tag teams with Alan Hahn here on 98.7 ESPN, says the Pats... It's over. 
I love to see dynasties fall. Bill, is Cam your quarterback? Bill would want to be anywhere else other than where he's at right now. Because so. right now, he's finally getting some tough courses. And this is what it looks like when reigns fall, when empires fall. It's never, ever, ever pretty. And I know the record isn't bad. But listen, it's only going to get worse because it's Jared Stidham. Mm. It's an environment and where you don't have anybody coming to save you. Oh, welcome to what it feels like to be a Buffalo Bills fan after Jim Kelly. Oh, welcome to what it feels like to be a Miami Dolphins fan after Dan Marino. Oh, welcome what it feels like to be the San Francisco 49ers after Steve Young. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> this from the can't wait guy. Boy, Bart Scott enjoying the situation with the New England Patriots right now, isn't he? He really is. And, you know, you understand why. Because, uh, you know, they've been on the tops of the mountain for a long, long time. Finally, NBA finds Kyrie Irving in the net $25,000 for, for the guard's media refusal. He had an interesting response today. And uh, both Brian Windhorst and Paul Pierce commented on Here's what Brian Windhorst had to say about Kyrie Irving's counterstatement to the fact that he was fined twenty five k. This is everything to me, Rachel, and it's not because he called the media pawns. I, I, he doesn't have to like the media. That's fine. But, you know, two and a half years ago, I went to North Dakota when Kyrie Irving went to the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe Reservation. And he went there for several reasons. And he gave those kids uh, and those people there an incredible day as he j- officially joined the tribe. He donated $100,000 that day, and that was important. But the real thing, the real important and, and why the media were there was because the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe wants people who have been adopted out of their community to come back home. And Kyrie's mother was adopted out of that community. And the media giving attention to that was their ability to show to the outreach of their nation to come back. And that's where the media and awareness and the NBA players can work together. Now, I am very aware that Kyrie Irving has donated several million dollars just this year to charity endeavors. I am aware that he gave food and masks to the Standing Rock Sioux again this year. I'm aware of what he meant for those kids on that day in North Dakota. He stood there for hours and shook every single one of their hands to give them a moment um and that and 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 being there to document that was so important not just that he did a good deed but because of what it means to that entire community and for Kyrie, for somebody who cares so deeply about his outreach and what he does outside the basketball court to act like the media doesn't play a role in that it's just a misjudgment and ultimately i'm going to judge Kyrie irving on what he does on that rectangle that's the basketball court going forward and that's unfortunate because we really should have a bigger conversation about what Kyrie does all around because he is doing special things. No question about it. And this just takes away from what he's doing. It puts the negative attention on just some things that he, you know, that blows all the good stuff that he does away. Paul Pierce was on the jump, as was Brian Windhorst, and he just makes it plain and simple about Kyrie Irving. This is what comes with the job. You know, you're you're a role model, you're a superstar. Whether you're a basketball player, an actor, or, or whatever field you're in, you're in the limelight, and this all comes with your job. It's only a distraction if you let it be a distraction, but you got to understand, when you signed up for this, when you got drafted, when you signed these big contracts, when you're a superstar in this league, this is what you signed up for. It's true. That's top stories. Thank you, JP. Thank you, Brian. This is ESPN New York Tonight.